welcome to The Station Tapes on 21 Soul. I'm your host, Lewis Marks, and on this podcast, I share intimate interviews with some of the best musicians in the world. In my role at Ropadope, I interview each artist as we prepare for the release of their next record. I want to get the backstory, a sense of their intent and motivation around the new release. I found that given the opportunity in a relaxed setting, they feel free to open up about musicianship, life, and the challenges of being a professional musician. This week on the show, I chat with Dave Dernovsek, Rowan Cobb, and Nick Worth, the universal power trio known as Yak Attack. We connected with Nick Worth through his work with Brother Nate, and we found him and his bandmates no less curious and explorative, musically speaking. Yak Attack blends live playing, live looping, for an entrancing blend of jazz, groove, and electronica. How did they get there? Let's take a listen. for the next episode of the 21 Soul Podcast, and I have on the line Yak Attack, a band from Portland, Oregon, and uh, Dave Darnosik, Rowan, help me. <laughs> Rowan Cobb here. Uh, I wanted to say Cobb, and then I'm like, I've got that wrong. So <laughs> I want to warn you all, uh, and, and of course, Nick Worth. So welcome, fellas. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Um, I want to I warn you, as is always, I do not prepare any questions for these things. It's my attempt to improvise, uh, and uh, it seems to be working okay so far. But um, I have so many questions for you guys, um, because everything seems mysterious, from the name Yak Attack straight through to the title of your new album coming up in September, Safety Third. But let me start with... How you guys came together? Are you all from the Portland area? Pick one to start. Uh, I think, you know, with most people in Portland, everyone's kind of a transplant. You know, the city is really attractive for young people. Um, you know, I, I kind of came out here. I, I quit my Wall Street job and moved out here to retire in my 20s. Um, I think, Ron, you went, to, you went to school out here, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, and I moved out here about seven years ago, you know, same thing. I quit my uh, music education job, moved out here and um, started focusing on playing in, in bands and whatnot. Yeah, so the band's been together about five years at this point. Um, we had, uh, Rowan and I had initially started the band with uh, with another drummer. And, you know, he got married and had a job and all that jazz. And so couldn't really keep up with the touring. Um, Nick had been playing uh, percussion with us um for about a year and uh we knew he was a fantastic drummer and uh when uh, we lost our original drummer we kind of asked him if he wanted to step onto the kit and he did it's been that way ever since nice nice um i i was unaware that nick was a fantastic drummer until until i started talking to you guys but i'll come back to that your job on wall street <laughs> yeah i uh i'm you know one of those people who likes to exercise both my left brain and my right brain and uh you know i'd made a conscious decision to have a backup plan, which I know is not cool, but uh, it was, uh, I had parents who were paying for my school and uh, 
they wanted a little bit of return on investment. So I graduated with an economics degree and a music degree and I uh, was in New York City. And so it was just natural to, to go, you know, try my wares at that, work there for a couple of years. No judgment on the people who choose to make that their career, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't for me. And uh, I love the mountains. Uh, I love the water, uh, the nature. Um, I love the laid back attitude of the West Coast. And I love the fact that you didn't have to cart an amp on the subway everywhere. Um, so all those factors really played into my decision to move out here. Well, I applaud you at, at, uh, uh, for, for, uh, for being rational and calculated about that. I'm a, I'm a Wall Street uh, expatriate myself, uh, but, uh, but mm. mine, mine was all by accident. I just kind of, <laughs> it's such a horrible job that I had to, to, to go on the road with the Grateful Dead instead. So I, I, <laughs> nice, nice. poor planning is mine. Um, and and uh, Nick, I wanted to, you, you mentioned your job in education so we have a we have a bio for the band ghost note and a podcast where we talk about your brother nate following you to the university of north texas is that where you were in in teaching or oh uh, you know i i didn't actually i didn't quite make it to the collegiate level um as far as teaching goes i i got my bachelor's degree at north texas you know i was i was just uh i'm just two years older than nate so you know we were we were both at North Texas, you know, as students for a couple of years. And then when I graduated, I started grad school at Texas Christian University right away. I got an opportunity uh, for, a, for a full ride scholarship there. And, you know, at the time I was strictly classically trained. I was, I loved jazz and I was studying jazz and drum set um, and jazz vibes kind of in my own time. Um, but it wasn't the focus of my degree. And so I started grad school, but uh, I had to drop out before I could finish my first semester because of injury. I got ganglion cysts in both of my wrists. Oh my. And basically, yeah, that basically that kind of halted my, you know, process of working my way up the ladder to eventually teach at a university. You know, I, I had to kind of rethink my whole my whole musical journey and you know start from scratch after taking a year off and I never went back to grad school I ended up being a private contractor for some public school districts uh, in the Dallas area and I taught uh, as a private contractor private lessons worked with marching bands and drum lines and basically you know anything you can do to make a buck as an, a music educator in the public school system Gotcha. So the whole time, uh, the idea of being out on the road as a full-time musician was 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 probably ever present. I'm guessing. Absolutely, teaching music was something I was passionate about, but truthfully, it was something I was doing in hopes that I could eventually play for a living. So, Rowan, can you tell us? I have a second question for you. I'll throw it out there now. Um, I, I want to know why your Twitter handle is Muse Bandit, but um, that's right, right? Yeah, that's it. Or Instagram, right. But uh, t tell me a little bit about, if you would, about your path and how you got to full-time music. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico. I grew up playing bass and piano and mandolin. So I kind of had a diverse approach to appreciation of genres. You know, I love bluegrass. And as soon as I moved into Portland about 15 years ago, uh, I kind of got right into the scene and Came out here for school, went to Lewis and Clark, and uh, I've played in a number of animal-named bands over the last 10 years, and yeah, just just really been enjoying this Portland scene. And 
the musicians that it cultivates. Nice. And, and Muse Bandit? Um, you know, I think that was basically my AOL handle that I somehow came up with a long time ago. So there's not, no real story behind it. Okay. <laughs> it does it does indicate your age though if you because i do remember when we we all had to have some sort of fancy name because all the, all the, nobody wanted the number after their name right yeah exactly because that instead of rowan cobb 789 or something like that right yeah well that was after marley lives 81 that was my first one <laughs> <laughs> there you go. um so why yak attack does it, it does it even need to be did, defined here so we leave it alone well you know so we, we get asked about the name a lot and uh you know i i think let's just say we like ungulates and uh let's leave it at that okay and then if safety third the name of the new album clearly somebody wants to know what is first and second there's three rules here rule number one is safety third Mm -hmm. Rule number two, good times is the number one second rule. And rule number three, safety. Yeah. Are, are there any, are, there are no further rules? Those are the three rules as, as it is right now. Um, Excellent. And this kind of came out of, uh, this kind of came out of our friend's fruition, some late night conversations. There you go. So... <laughs> How how much does jazz or or whatever traditional music education uh, that you've that you've experienced lead into what you do? Uh, and and the and the the opposing part of that question is um, why not just play that traditional route? Because it seems to me that you've got plenty of traditional elements, but you're doing it in a in a very different way. I'm going to rephrase that. <laughs> I, I can I can take a stab from my perspective at least. I guess <clears throat> I've always had a complicated relationship with jazz. You know, I was trained classically, and so you know when I started playing when I was a little kid, you know I didn't know how to improvise. I knew how to read notes and practice them exactly as they were, and play other people's interpretations of other people's music. As I kind of got a little older and that started to be less fun and I started getting beaten in competitions by eight-year-old kids, you know, I started to learn how to improvise, learn kind of more popular music, you know, but I never got really any formal jazz training at school. I really liked listening to it. I really liked the art form, but the theory and the kind of, the, you know, the, the collegiate level, grad level, actual training on how to play it, I never really got. So I always had to kind of scrounge my way up and, you know, do things that I knew were just kind of approximating jazz or or, or playing what I heard as jazz, but, you know, might be frowned upon by the, by the establishment or whatever. Um, you know, so, so I've kind of been on a complicated road to try to just like understand it, understand the art form, get better at it. And I think one thing that I've really found out is, you know, the, the concept of what jazz is has broadened so much that you can do a lot of different things and you can call it under that umbrella, even if you're not the most trained or you don't have the best chops or whatever. You know, as we approach this music, I mean, I remember when we first formulated the band, it was really about, hey, I want to do a looping based band with live instruments that doesn't have anything pre-recorded and that sounds real. And the looping is not a gimmick. I've seen loopers before and they just do one, two, three, four. They stack them and then they do it again. That's it. I wanted it to be like a band band mm -hmm. and not just like a gimmick using loops. 
and you know searching for the the genres that that really facilitated um electronica just was just it just popped out you know it was like hey you've got a pretty repetitive texture here you've got a lot of different textures and layers that keep building up you've got kind of incremental changes that are going on and i think as we started to play those those kind of jazzy elements that i think we all have in, in us you know just kind of percolated through that genre so that's at least my perspective all the other guys kind of kind of give their take on it too then. Mm-hmm. yeah i mean for, this is rowan uh, for me you know i don't think it's kind of similar to what dave said but I, you know i don't think we set out to accomplish a specific um you know blending of genres or any anything too premeditated you know we we all just have so much jazz in, embedded in us from listening to it and like some of our favorite musicians are you know the robert glassford john schofield and it's hard not to let those influences just just get right in there and yeah i agree with dave that jazz is just such a broad term now that it's it's pretty awesome to be able to be on, under that umbrella even though i never expected myself to be a jazz musician per se um and then you know one one more thought on this this is nick you know nowadays well okay you know you've heard that we aren't we all aren't you know completely jazz jazz trained i think rowan has the most specific you know jazz training coming from an institution per se while dave and i are mostly classical um, from the institution but we we also all had an appreciation for electronic music and you know these days we, we we call it edm and when we think edm you know there's a whole lot of that stuff that as jazz musicians we want to just toss in the trash but on on you know the bright side of things there's a lot of great great electronic stuff happening nowadays modernly and and a lot of it is crossing over into the jazz world simply because of the collaborations that are going on you know like number one the first one that comes to mind is a producer out there who you know is a big influence on yak on the yak attack sound that produces k trinata out of toronto you know k trinata is a unique producer because you know he doesn't focus on one style of music and with with electronic music or really with like beat making if somebody makes beats they're typically gonna you know make hip-hop beats or they're gonna make house beats they're gonna make drum and bass beats you know and and so with k trinata you you have him he's he's, he's crossing over from hip-hop to R&B to soul and then he's also you know doing house too like some of the swaggiest house you've ever heard and and you know he he does he has a collaboration album with Robert Glasper you know 20 30 years ago like when did you see a fully legitimate jazz musician pro collaborating with a producer who likes to make house beats mm-hmm. you know it's kind of an anomaly but nowadays you know the, the the concept of fusion i feel like is starting to you know bring together the electronic the acoustic the the future and the past right kind of syncing together the 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 modern and the, the traditional he used the f word yeah i agree though um so i wonder i wonder if if what the way i view it is is historically correct or if you guys kind of agree um, seems to me that the reason that jazz music is played uh, and, and taught in such a way, and Christian Scott says, you know, as if the best jazz music has already been played, right? Um, and everybody's copying the greats. 
or at least up until recently, it seems. It, it seems the reason for that is because that that sound had reached a maturity level, uh, you know, a good point ago. Like it came of age uh, quite some time ago. But it doesn't seem to me that electronic music has has come of age, or perhaps it's coming of age now. And I, and I just wonder how much of that is like the learning curve and the technology curve of electronic instrumentation. It seems like they're kind of intersecting one sort of on the way down and being reinvented and another one on the way up where people are finally, I mean, when I was a kid and, and I'm rambling here, but you know, in the eighties, it's like electronic music was, Hey, this is a cool new sound that's electronic. And, and it was, everybody tried to be as like, you know, to make it sound as sort of futuristic as possible. And nowadays it just seems like it's just part of the instrumentation. Does that all uh, make any sense to you guys at all? Yeah, I think I think that resonates. And I mean, I think, uh, you know, I you know, I know there's this, there's a traditionalist school like the Wynton Marsalis School, which is which has a very kind of traditional slash you might say narrow definition of what jazz is. And, you know, I, I and I totally respect that, that there's that opinion and there's that school out there. And I totally respect that people have the conceptions about what it is to be jazz, what it is to be electronic and what it is in different periods of time. It's really interesting listening to. You know, sometimes we're in the van and we'll listen to, you know, some old electronic hits from like even like 10 years ago. And it's amazing how much the production, like the, the intricacy of the beats, um, the, the different kinds of sounds, the different kinds of techniques are being used. And, you know, I think to add to that complication, you're now you're now in the realm of like straight producing and straight DJing where you can pretty much formulate exactly how you want your record or your, or, or, you know, your track to sound before it even gets out there live. And I think, you know, one of the things that we've, we've always tried to do not just bridge the gap between, you know, genres like or a traditional sense of electronic or a traditional sense of jazz or anything like that, but also just the bridge between we want it to be tight and we want it to sound like a DJ, but we also want it to be live. And there's there's trade-offs that come with that, right? We can't make that we can't make that kick pop on function one the way that a DJ could with a perfectly produced kick drum. Right. Like I screw up a lot. You know, I make mistakes a lot. We improv. Um yeah, we do a lot of improv. And I think you know, that's kind of what our fans have really latched onto is that there is that live element. You know, you can see us at an electronic music festival and it sounds live, but it also sounds like a DJ. And I think that's, that's, you know, we've been trying to exist in that space in the middle, makes things difficult sometimes because it's hard to classify, but, you know, I think it also helps broaden that appeal. We can get jazz and electronic gigs. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and, do, and is the audience like, I mean, the, the, the fans kind of, getting what you're doing all the time or is, is a lot of it just that this feels this feels right like is it well it's fun because it's fun because that you know there's different layers of kind of understanding that people have of you know whether it's the gear or the music that we're making you know some people are convinced that we're using pre-recorded backing tracks uh -huh. and uh you know they have to get all the way up front and and watch what dave's doing you know he places when he places every loop and you know, some people have come at it from a much mu more musical education standpoint, and you know, all the all the sound engineers and things have a different type of uh, appreciation for it. You know, it's it's really fun to see how it kind of how it kind of uh, hits different people, and you know, who came from different musical backgrounds. I want to chime in on that topic too, Lewis. I'm the newest member of the band, you know, and. You know, I, I was a fan of the band before I joined, and you know, we weren't we weren't a, a, a touring band when I joined. That was a decision, you know, that was made um, that we, you know, we 
we talked about it and you know everybody had jobs everybody's busy and we decided we wanted to start you know traveling a little bit and getting taking the show on the road and in the you know three plus years that we've been focusing on doing that you know the numbers don't lie it's it, 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 we've just been slowly and steadily expanding and you know we return we do a return play the crowd doubles more people show up there's more buzz and you know that's that of course that that helps when you have management and and you know you have a team behind you but also you know we've only had management for not even a year you mm-hmm. know so so a lot of the growth and a lot of you know the the response that we're getting is is very organic and it's and it really is you know just relating to how people feel about what we're doing so um you know and just on on our home turf you know i think 2 years ago we were doing weekly shows for free at our our home base venue the goodfoot and you know we just played a show in this past april for almost 500 people you know and to just to go from free weekly shows to you know a, a, a venue you know top venue packed with 500 people in two years it's like it's it's some pretty solid growth I love to hear it. It's beautiful. And I mean, you know, we, we, uh, we here at the label face the constant battle of the concept of, uh, you know, marketing from the top down and, you know, get, get, getting people to listen, so to speak, uh, and, and follow a band versus that organic. I saw this band and I love them and now I'm going to follow, you know, um, we like, we like your way <laughs> best because I think that's what that's really you know musical exploration and, and and real movements are all about so it's great to hear and i hope that uh, you guys are, are coming our way at some point soon so some of the people that are here on the east coast and are going to be hearing about yak attack for the first time can get out and see you do you want to say anything about this particular record it how it might be different from record one and uh what people might expect when listening to it so let's see. So the the gap between this most recent record, Safety Third, and first studio release, Real World Conditions, uh, I believe that was about so somewhere between three and four years of gap between the two albums. So you know, so much has happened musically in that time, um, and you know, being being the the member of the band that was was a fan around that first studio release time um actually i am i am playing percussion on the the real world conditions album so that was kind of my first little entrance into the band just you know comparing the process for the studio albums the first and, and the most recent completely different process with uh with the first album um now personally i was only involved in overdubbing some percussion from my understanding that the tracking of that album was very, very much more pared down than how we did Safety Third. Dave, do you want to talk about the, the first studio album? Yeah, I mean, the first album, we basically just hired our friend to engineer for us, and we rented out a studio for two days, and we were in the studio for probably like 40 of those 48 hours. And then we did the same thing again for mixing. I mean, it was a real DIY thing, and we're really proud of that album, obviously, and we made it for like pretty much record low cost. But yeah, just with a little more resources, a little more vision, and a lot more comfort behind what we're doing and the vision we had for it, you know, it was, you know, we were, we were able to just really go for it on this one, basically. And you know, parting part of 
really going for it. Um, you know, over the last few years, we've all developed a lot of uh, really strong relationships and connections with some, you know, really incredible players um, that are doing amazing things on the scene. And so, you know, th this record, it, it has a ton of special guests, you know, starting starting with uh, the most biased special guests. <laughs> we got my, my, my bro bro, Nate Worth, on percussion on every track on the whole album. Uh, we've got Jay Jennings, uh, Snarky Puppy, playing trumpet and flugelhorn on a couple tracks. Mm -hmm. We've got Sly Fifth Ave, uh, Sylvester on Onye Giaka, who, you know, was one of the, the last members of Prince's band and uh, plays in Ghost Note, has, his, has a few of his own records out on True Thoughts. And then we had Kevin Moringer, a great trombone player out of New York. Nick Earl, who's the lead guitarist of the Polyphonic Spree, um, doing some bowed guitar on a few tracks. Little Warrior, who's uh, an artist uh, that was based out of Portland. Now she's out of L.A. doing some really uh, unique electronic stuff. And one of our uh, Portland friends, Sarah Clark, who's the lead vocalist of uh, one of our favorite bands in town, Dirty Revival. So, you know, just right out of the gate, you look at the credits um, and there's there's a whole bunch of friends featured on this album. And then, you know, lastly, this this really is a concept album, Safety Third. If you put this record in your CD player or you download it and you you you, you got it on your iTunes, if you put this record on loop, literally the thing never stops. Every track segues into the next, the last track when it repeats into the beginning of the album again. It's a perfect segue. And the, the reason we wanted to do this is because, uh, you know, we're trying to dip, you know, that that foot of ours in deeper into the electronic realm. And, you know, with with electronic sets, you know, DJs are, are they start the set and they never stop. Every song mixes, you know, smoothly and perfectly into the next. So we set out to create that same type of vibe, but in the jazz context with the real instruments. Fascinating. There's uh, one, one of the folks who works here uh, at rope uh, you know, everybody, we get, the, we get the music and we all listen to it. And, and he just popped in one day. He's like, yak attack, four, five, six, four, five, six. I'm like, what are you talking? He's like, just play those, play those together. So that, I, I get what you're saying. Now we got to go, we got to go right from the start and let it loop uh, to get the entire piece. But I already. Well, you can start on whichever song you want to start on. That's, <laughs> that's the great part about it, you know. Well, just the fact that he said, you know, that he mentioned several songs at a time. You know what I mean? Like he, he was already in that mind space of this, this, these are meant to be together, you know? Um, that's great, man. And honestly, we, we tell this to everyone that we talk to who's in the biz. If you're a bartender or venue owner, promoter or a record label staff, it's kind of like those are the best compliments to get because you guys see and hear music all day long, every day. It means a lot to us when, when you know, anyone thinks highly or likes, likes our tune. So we, we, we're appreciative of that. man. Awesome. And I do, you know, for people who are listening to this, I do want to encourage people sometimes, uh, you know, take, take a moment. You know, take a moment to play something again and again uh, and see how it hits you a second, third, and fourth time around because that, that's when it starts to, you know, good music gets better with each listen. So, and this is one of those records for sure. Well, gentlemen, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for being here with, with me and, and sharing information, sharing the story. It's great. 
to hear about the growth in the band through changes in the personnel. And, you know, the, there's, there's so many times that this is happening and, and with all these special guests, uh, it makes it really exciting for listeners for sure. And, uh, for your courage, following your instinct and, and doing what you do. Uh, I don't think people realize how difficult it is, uh, and how much risk is involved. So thank you so much, Dave Rowan and Nick from Yak Attack. We appreciate you. Hey, thanks, Lewis. We're pumped to be on the Rope Dope family. Yeah, thanks, Lewis. Thanks, Lewis. Well, that's our show for the week. Thanks for listening to the Station Tapes. If you like what we do, please subscribe on Mixcloud at 21 Soul. And you can also find us on Stitcher, Apple, and Spotify. Our 21 Soul video series features in-person interviews, music discussion, and live performances. And you can find that on YouTube at Rope It Up 99. Big thanks to our producer, Nick Perry. Our general manager is Fran DeRubo. The Station Tapes theme song is from Red Hook Soul by Michael Blake. And big thanks to all the people who keep the flame burning, to all the musicians who pour their creativity into the world, and thanks to those of you who are taking the time to listen. We hope you enjoy the show. Music